Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, that's why there's no music. The, my computer's screwed up. The computer's screwed up, so there's no music. And I was playing my phone earlier, but it was very ghetto, so I'm not going to do that. As I said earlier, lovely Joanne is out of town for a week, so uh, I can go out. You know, I'm going to go have some fun. But actually, what I like about when she leaves town is I get the whole bed to myself. Because I don't know if you know this, but when you live with someone, they always sit there and they start pushing. And she's a petite woman, but she still pushes over the whole damn bed. And I end up sleeping with like an arm hanging off. I'm afraid I'm going to fall off and hit my head, and I don't need that. So anyway, so it's about going to be a good week. I'll talk to you about next week. And uh, we got a good show today. This guy, I've been running back and forth with him. He's a Jersey guy. He's actually, he's using his own headphones, which is always something new. It's Brian Titchy. How you doing, Brian? Hi, how you doing? Good. So what you, what's, what's on your... Uh, I, um, you can play since we're going ghetto today, I wanted to add to that. Okay, let's go. And I got. got a couple... T- I have a new phone. I didn't put all my old music on it, so there's so it's limited. I just never de- put all my other stuff back on it, so it's only from like what I got online right now. But this is a good song. It's so let's, song? Just, let's start off with it's this. It's like 30 seconds. Hey, uh, it'd be cool if you had a call in. First call in guy gets a t-shirt or something if you name this drummer, but check it out. I want to hear this. Okay. Well, it's uh, the Eagles. And the drummer is not Glenn Fry, is it? Oh, baby. <laughs> That's badass. So, are, no, it's not Glenn Fry. Drummer Talk. His name starts with Don. Oh, whoa, Don Henley. There you go. I forgot. Why am I getting Glenn Fry? Okay, turn it off. Turn it That's off. good. That, listen to those talk boxes. All right, I got them confused. I got I, Don Henley and Glenn Fry. I, I knew one of them sang. You get them confused because yeah. they're both in the head of it. Did you ever see the Eagles? Uh, that documentary about them? Um, I've seen a bunch. Uh, no, wait, wait. Did it was, I? It was on Everybody Showtime. says it's awesome. I saw a bunch of stuff, but I don't know if I watched that whole thing. Now, now you are you are you been a big Eagles fan growing yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was huge into them. This is that was by the way the, those shoes on the long run, which is a great um, CD. Pff, what, that's just badass. Now I got to ask you. You're a New Jersey guy, North Jersey. So as a kid, well, you started playing drums at a young age, right? Or yeah, you- yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably would have been, if somebody said there's drums here and, you know, it's two or three years old, I would have been doing it. It wasn't until um, third third grade, would whatever that is, seven or eight years right. old, six, eight, let's call it eight. Yeah, I got a, kit, a fake fake drum kit, meaning it wasn't a proper, it was like a bought from Sears, you know, it was like a little kid's kit called the dynamite drum set and it had flames all over it and it was really cool looking but it sounded terrible but so bad the bass drum sounded so bad that I didn't use the bass drum pedal I just tapped my foot on the side of the bass drum so if my parents would bring their friends up oh watch our son play drums they'd see my foot working but I, the drums was like kyong, kyong, that's how it sounded so I didn't use it and I just played the kiss and I was like that's all I do but it was natural. It was like always natural. And I just, you know, I gravitated to it instantly. Thought it was the coolest thing you could possibly do is play drums. And that was it. And it was never um, something, nobody pushed it on me. And nobody said, you know, you'll have to learn how to do it. I just started playing and could do it. It made sense, you know. So you started at eight. At yeah. Eight, you know, third grade. So not, then you continue playing through. Never school. stopped. Yeah. The next year, I got a proper drum set. Started taking private lessons and learned all that stuff. And, you know, it's looking back now. I always go, oh, yeah, I studied privately. You know what I mean? Like, because some people go, oh, I'm, I'm self-taught. I studied privately. But it's like, yeah, I did study privately, but I was self-taught in rock. Like, rock was the rock records. Nobody taught me Zeppelin, Van Halen, Rush, you know, whatever. I, I learned that on my own. There was nobody showing me how to do stuff. You learn on your own. But in the lessons, I'd play my rudiments, read the books, do, do study the, the little the, the jazz independent stuff. But for rock, it was all like, like if you're a drummer, you know about this stuff. Like a rim shot, it's we all take it for granted. A rim shot on a snare drum, it's got to be there on the two and four. If it, if you don't hit it the same every time, it doesn't drive the band as much, and it sounds inconsistent. So, but nobody in my life ever said, "Hey, you're a rock drummer, you got to do a rim shot." It just somewhere as a kid, it clicked. And you could probably ask. It's an interesting question that not, I've never had a conversation with a lot of drummers about. But at what point did you decide? As a drummer, you were going to do a rim shot on that snare every two and four. You know, when did you decide? It, I don't remember. It just, just happened. Just did as a kid. And I was like, that sounds so much better. That bam. And, and it was probably like, that's a little bit closer to, you know, listening to, let's just say, you know, John Bonham or something. You have that distinct snare drum sound, Alex Van Halen. And when, when you do a rim shot, a little bit of that, that what I call like a bonk. It's just like a bonk, bonk, but it's like a wood tone. It's more of a, t- a whole tone comes out of the drum, you know, whereas if you don't use a rim shot, and it's nothing 
groundbreaking or new or special. It's just it, if somebody doesn't tell you, how do we know to do it? You know, like today you go on YouTube and you go figure out anything you want from anybody in the world. At Back any then, there you, you couldn't find anything. I mean, it's yeah. like I had a guitar lab in high school and I sucked. But I, you, know, you sit there, you go, okay, a teacher had to teach you. But a rim shot just came to you, just came to you because you that meant you were going to be a drummer. Yeah, and even even triplets, like like if, if you know, for since you know we're talking drums here, but a triplet, just a gr- grouping of three. If you just do that with right, left. The, that, the table's loud. really sensitive. Yeah. Okay, well, good because I'm about to do a triplet on the table. This. Okay. That sound. If you do that, just going right, left, right, left, right, left. The accents of the right hand, then the left hand's the next accent, and vice versa. As a kid, nobody showed me triplets. I just came downstairs to my dad one day, and I was doing it on my drums, and I was like, my dad's really talented, you know, piano, guitar, he can sing, accordion, drums, you know, all this stuff. So he was like. Hey, Dad, check it out. Check it, check it, check it, check it, on the on the kitchen table, and he just looked at me and he went a little faster. Went check it, check it, check it, He goes, yeah, right. You know, and I was like, so I went, well, I guess any everybody can do that. I guess that's no big deal. So I went upstairs. I was like, well, if he can go, check it, check it. I got to learn how to go all over the kitchen. Check it, check it, check it, Cross the hands. And you know, so with that mentality, you start, you know, um, you know, obviously there was there was a little bit of a, you know, you know. A, a little bit of uh you know this a natural gift i mean you know you just take advantage of it some people you know hopefully take advantage of whatever uh you're born with as a little bit of a gift or something so as you're playing now in high school do you join like the marching band to play or do you or do you how do you further your playing in high school no i i, I don't even honestly i don't even know if we <laughs> we had a marching band i don't even remember the term marching band coming up in high school but we had sports that's that's actually retarded sounding i don't even know we must have, but I was I was in the school band, you know, like I, I school band as you know little kid and um, play you know snare drum and whatever, bass drum I guess whatever that stuff is and you you know you read your sheet, you know the sheet music the drum music and uh, no but in high school I I did do a couple of years in the school band you know same stuff you know, were you but start, not, not marching were you starting bands on the side like did you have bands in high school that were like a rock band. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Since I, I think it was like really ni- ninth grade, which is the you know the first year of high school, started jamming with this guitar player a buddy of mine was like, see so here was the deal. I didn't I I went two years ninth and tenth grade to a Catholic high school for ninth and tenth. Didn't know anybody there. I like knew one kid because my parents were like your grades are slipping, you're messing around in school too much, you're getting in trouble. You're going to the school we went to. Okay. And I was like, are you, come, come on, ninth grade. I got to go to a, a totally brand new high school. What school like, is it? It was called uh, Morris Catholic High School. Okay, no, because I, I went to school at Richard Stockton College, and we had a bunch of guys from we went to Don Bosco and all those places, schools up there, St. Thomas Aquinas, all the Catholic schools up north. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, I was in a, just the regular, should have been a Parsippany Hills High School, but they stuck me there for two years. They didn't have a, a band, or if they did, it was after school, but they didn't have after school buses. Some weird thing where I, I just didn't do it. So my negotiation was with my parents. I'll join, I'll back, join back up into the school band, which is a period of the classes in the day in high school which it wasn't at Morse Catholic so they said okay you can go back there and I did junior and senior year doing that which was uh it was cool it was just like something it was like just to do it to get the grade and do you know what I mean it wasn't like there was any big interest in being playing snare drum in a but did you know you wanted you wanted drumming to be your life at this point did you have oh no I knew that when I started playing so you knew this is going to be your career path yeah yeah done deal done deal when I was a kid like that's that's which is as a kid you're not thinking what it what that means right that that means a lot you know it means like there was you know I was doing sports and everything like all kids do you're doing this and that baseball and what you know all different sports you know even wrestling sorry did wrestling and stuff like that but but uh it just all started to uh, that all dwindled away, you know, faded a little bit, and and uh, I had no interest, like you know, uh, to be you know to pitch on a baseball team or be a catcher or whatever. I just it was you know it was fun as a kid. I like sports. Sports are great. Right. You know, it's totally cool. But no, I knew I knew like there's there was no and it's fu- it's it's funny and now we're sitting here talking and stuff and I'm like the older you get the more you kind of look back and go wow man I'm so far away now from where I was. But really, it's the same stuff. There's nothing change. You know, a lot of things change, but nothing changes. You know what I mean? And uh, so, what I'm doing and w- what I do best is all the same stuff. It's just you know, there's a lot of experiences in between. But looking back, it's it's like, uh, yeah, I knew that's uh, what it was going to be, and I and I uh, I knew that it was a, a done deal. And you know, you don't you don't know how you're going to get there. You just know that's that's what you do. You know? And um, so it's funny to look back at all that kind of stuff. Well, you went to, You also went to a music. You went to college for music. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Berkeley Music College. Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Now, right? how did you decide to go to? How did you decide to sit there? Did you learn to go to learn your craft more and learn insight, or did you just say it's my next progression before I go out my own? Or I mean, how did you get from, you know, going to a college and then getting into playing with bands? But why did you choose college instead of just trying to get into bands? No, it was it was not. It was uh, just it was because I'm the oldest in my family. So as the first kid, your parents, everything you do, every move they make with you is their first move raising a kid right so they had money for college like through our grandparents like to save there's like college savings there sitting there right it's going to be used for college they're not blowing through it it's saved it's what here i am they're like you're going to college and i was like i don't want to go to college i have right. zero desire i'm graduating high school i'm you know no way i'm done I'm, I'm a drummer you know and in my head i thought college was this big you know a university with dual you know what do you call it? Dorm dormitories. Dorms. And, 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 do, do, not not dorms. You know the what's the group of guys? You know the sororities. Frater and fraternities. Fraternities. What, like a, I'm like that. All that's like what's that got to do with music? What am I gonna? Where am I gonna play drums at a university? You know what I mean? So, um, somewhere I was I kind of fought fought them about it, and and then they said, uh, no way you're going. But right around that same time, a buddy of mine said there's a college called Berkeley Music College in Boston, and you get college credit and you just play music all day. I'm like. I don't know how they figured out to make this work, but uh, that was that was what I did. So I went, I applied there, and there was some college in Florida. Suppose they had a good music program. And I think my dad and I got. I'm as a teenager, I blocked anything out of my head that didn't directly have to do with what I cared about. Like I, you know, I think I went down to Florida, auditioned on a snare drum to, for this Florida college thing, and. Uh, Went home. I didn't. I don't think they accepted me. I don't know why. I have such a minute, little because like, I had no desire to be there. Right. It was completely a foreign place that I never wanted to see again. So just block it out. I went. But the Berkeley thing was like Boston. It just I could see that a little bit more. And I went up there and I walked around. I was like, whoa, look at all these kids, all these people from around the world, you know, playing music. Because I went and visited the school. It was it was uh, pretty awesome, you know. And uh, I got there and and uh, right out of high school, you know, graduated. And, you know, had the summer and then went up there and did it. You know, had a couple roommates and lived in the dorms for three years nonstop. And but I got my ass kicked. At, meaning I went around and saw these just amazing musicians doing stuff that I, you know what I mean? Just I never was aware of well, jazz and fusion and all that. I'm kind sure of yeah, it's it's a whole opening because every it's everyone who's it's a great music school and everyone who's playing each has their own styles and he said they're from around the world. So there's different styles. That must that must have been a good learning experience for you though. Oh yeah, totally. I I anything from. Chick Corea electric band when with Dave Weckl coming out to Jeff Beck's you know the 70s you know records you know with wire blow by blow even though they're more rock just that stuff and all the Miles Davis and and uh, Coltrane and it just on and on that whole world of fusion you know Cobham and Gad and like I, I ate that up bam like that was massive like you know right right upon hitting the ground at Berkeley that's so. But I always like balanced it in my head. I was like, okay, I listen to stuff. Some of it's cool, you know. What Demiola, Holdsworth, all the you know, Zappa, blah blah blah, all that stuff, you know. Listen to everything, and you know, it's great. It opens your ears up and stuff. But I'd always go back to my Kiss Aerosmith Zeppelin, you know what I mean? And as at liking that style of music the most, and and uh, even God, I didn't listen to James Brown as a kid. And I love James Brown. He's one of my favorite favorite ever now. I love I love every single thing about James Brown. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, learning about Clyde Stubblefield, you know, which rock drummers don't really dig into that much, you know, um, or they listen to it and they get the basics of it. But, they, you know, there's so much more going on than just like a rock drummer listening to a funk drummer. It's like there's to really get into it. There's so many intricacies going on. You know, so I got all into that stuff. And uh, yeah, there's so many great musicians, just kids. It wasn't just learning in the classes. Classes were almost in the way of everything else I was trying to do. You know, there's your training and there's this and that. And we had to take a you know, semester of piano, which was all cool. But um, uh, just being around the kids, we're all we're all hardcore. You know what I mean? You're if you're at Berkeley and you're not trying to get better, it's like why even bother, dude? This right. is so one track minded. This is so simple. You can eat and breathe this nonstop, which most people did. Mo most people were, you know, if you're a rock drummer, going, yeah, man, I'm into rock and I'm sitting around at Berkeley, and you're not trying to get better and all, which can also mess with you because a lot of people leave Berkeley and go, oh, I I <clears throat> I can play all these different styles. I have to play all different styles all the right. time, which it's like, dude, Berkeley is no relevance in the real world of the music business. There's nothing. You just take, you just learn there, and then you, be, you then you try to be smart with what you learn, you know. Now, now going to Berkeley, was there anything like Whiplash? I'm sure you've seen the movie Whiplash. 
And was, I think I saw some of the trailers. Like, was oh. anything like where the guy was just a dick? Did he no, have bar teachers? No, or? Man, who's hit, who's hitting kids? I mean, isn't there some the kids get slapped or something? Yeah, like, I, I, just, I just wonder because you always you always hear you know certain things. And someone said they went to a school that was like that. I saw that. Tra- that's what I saw the trailer where he's like in. He's playing something wrong, and the teacher's like, make it swing more, lay back more, whatever. And he said, no, and he starts yelling. And he's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> How does it, I mean, okay, maybe that's a cool movie and all that stuff, but like, isn't that just like, abuse? Isn't that just lawsuits.com right then? <laughs> yeah. As soon as that happens, isn't the kid like telling the parents, parents like, you know what, Berkeley? Here we go, multi million dollar lawsuit. You smacked me, you know, your teacher smacked my kid. The teacher's fired. Parents make a bunch of dough. And Berkeley is a shit name. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, or whatever. Realist, yeah, I know you're saying. You know, but I'm saying that's what happens. Who's, what's, so it's, I think I saw that trailer. It was like, really? They were slapping who? Like, this is a you know, nun slapping a kid's hand right. with a well, ruler. When, I, when I grew up, it used to be the old, once uh, Christ the King was a Catholic school, and they used to say the nuns would turn the lights off and throw basketballs at kids. And I was like, that would never happen. First of all, whoever made it up has a great imagination. But I'm thinking, oh yeah, there's nuns are throwing basketballs. It's all, yeah, we get a lawsuit. Wow. But back then, no one but, sued. But hey, but, back, but then there was a point, in t- there was a time in, in you know, the entertainment industry when it was fine to have a guy just slap a woman across the right. face. Exactly. You gotta hold yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like a lot of the movies. I'm just saying that was I, that was normal. Oh yeah. Like that was normal. Archie Bunker was normal. That stuff, I mean, it's crazy how, what was, you know, that's a whole other subject. But, but no, you're but right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because how, what's how, because I, I just showed it, I talked about it earlier. I saw this show, The 70s on CNN. They did the whole thing about TV. And Archie Bunker, the stuff he said was, oh, and man. it was funny. And the thing is, and it, it raised awareness. Now, Archie Bunker, we are persecuted. But I was just watching, yeah, yeah, you did, you know, and that stuff. And it was just, you could get away with it. Yeah, but stuff. He, I mean, he, they were, you know, they were pumping that up to for him to be that jackass that didn't know you know that was so um you know so so set in his ways and you know just that so he just it was such a stereotypical character of right that thing it made it funny because he was just you expect that's what made it funny it's like here he comes he's gonna say that comment here it comes he's gonna you know he's gonna you know but i still think the funniest thing was if anybody sat in his chair that, that, was, oh, yeah. that was great because you know that you don't want to sit in his chair but um no, they, there was none of that stuff. Nothing at all like that. I never saw anybody. You know, there was not. No, not even. So when you got out of uh, Berkeley and you sat there and you said you wanted to be a rock and roll drummer, what do you do then? You're graduated. You're. It's an industry. Do you, I don't know if you know a lot about the industry. I don't know as at that age because no one really knows about industries at 22. The entertainment industry. We don't know. I mean, I did comedy when I got out of college, but two years after I got out of college and I didn't know where to go and then you just go how did you start getting in bands and how did you start your career because you've had a very long career how was you how did you go about that it's just it, it's just who knows who and who did what and who brings you up you know who saw you play you know it's all it's basic networking really you can you can network for yourself and back in the days you're making cassette tapes and you're mailing things everywhere you know what I mean now it's all the internet like Who's gonna go mail a picture and a cassette of yourself from New York to LA and right. wait for that person to open up and listen and read it? Like that's what you did. That you know that's what you did. Now it's like, you know, anybody in the world could just like send anybody a message and go, hey, I'm interested in this. Here's here's you know here's whatever. Click on their Facebook page. There's all my there's a million pictures of me and here's uh, some YouTube clips and et cetera et cetera. So it's not, it's not easy now. It's like. It's awesome in a way. It's cool. Everything moves faster. You know, life is short, so it's cool that we can move faster if you want to. You know, but back then we didn't know what faster was. That was fast enough. Hey, well, the mail, and that's so, all. That's all we knew. Yeah, but to, 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 all it was was, you know, you, you, you know, you, you're a kid. You, you, it's an interesting question, but for me personally, it was like there was a few people at Berkeley that were, um, that got some gigs. There's a drummer buddy of mine, Stephen Wolf, who got the gig with Hiram Bullock in in. Uh, New York and Hiram was, you know, on the David Letterman band, had his own solo thing going, like a funky fusion thing. And my buddy Steve's a killer drummer, so he was like one of the first of us to leave and go down to New York. It's like Steve's one of the best drummers at Berkeley. And like he's he's gonna get seen by everybody in New York. People freak when they see him play. He's just so good. And uh he's been in New York, he's totally successful, kicks ass there. He's played with man, what's her name? The sweet dream Annie Lennox, he's played with Grover Washington, he's great. You know, but he was one of the first person people to leave. Like, whoa, he got a gig. Like he's like what, twenty, nineteen, right. twenty? And then my buddy uh, JD plays with. To make this long story short, JD plays with Black, Black Label Society now. I've, JD and I were we weren't roommates, but we were dorm mates at Berkeley. We met the 80s, 1986 in the in doing laundry, you know. And he's shredding 
Ingve licks on a bass, and I'm listening to Ingve's CD on a Walkman, you know, his his cassette on a Walkman. That's how we met, you know. I mean, we're you know we're uh, great buds, and um, but he got a gig in Jersey, New York, with this singer Jody Bon Jovi, you know. And at the time, it's like '89. The they somebody knew somebody in Jersey, and JD went down and auditioned, got this gig with Jody Bon Jovi, and she had a record deal, and she was going to be on MTV, and her. You know, the Bon Jovi name, the family name's there. Tony Bon Jovi's the producer at the Power Station. He's funding this whole thing. She's got to do, you know. So it's like, whoa, JD's gonna be like in this band, and he's doing a video. It's 1989. It's like a hair metal central, you know, was going on at that time. And so while her music was kind of stock, whatever, you know, that style, just stock, stock rock, you know. Right. Um, uh, he calls me, and goes, the drummer quit, which should already raise my, you know, raise a question. But I'm like, he's like, dude, they need a drummer. I told him about you. And I'm up in Berkeley in the summer of 89. And he had already left a few months before to do this. And, and he, I remember him calling us going, dude, we went out with Extreme. And that's the time Extreme was the biggest band in Boston. Right. He goes, we're on a tour bus. We're traveling around the country opening up for Extreme. I'm like, are you serious? Like, that was foreign to me. I'm in a Berkeley, I'm in a music college. And here he is like playing rock shows, opening up for the biggest band in Boston at the time. And Extreme was coming out. I think the record was out already and stuff like that. So... He goes, they're looking for a drummer. You know, it's okay. It's Jody Bon Jovi. You know, she spells the name the real way, B-O-N-G-I-O-V-E. Bon Jovi. I think that's what it is. But uh, um, so I went, I went and auditioned in New York and got it. And I was like 20, and and you know, went and played and got the gig. And they were paying, you know, crap money, and it didn't matter. I was making money to play drums, and we got in a tour bus and went and played some shows. And you know, this is all like fall of '89 or something like that. I just just turned 21, and that was a cool experience. I mean, I think we even went into Canada and yeah, you know, I just went around you know around the East Coast a bit and um that was the first experience but th- that wasn't in it really was a valid like hey I'm on a tour I'm playing right. drums every night and I'm getting paid and I, while the record or the music might not have been something I was a huge fan of it was an experience it's like right like literally I finished up that that the college that summer it was like right at the end of this it was perfect time I finished up that semester because I took a summer semester went down audition got it and then there you go. It's back, you know, I'm from New Jersey, so I'm like based out of my parents' house. I'm going, you know. So then, there you go. Stayed in Jersey, started p- playing clubs around there, and and I and at the same time, there was this is an interesting path. Um, when there's a photographer, Mark Weiss, in New Jersey, famous photographer. He had an assistant, Dave Feld. Dave and Mark saw two things. They saw Sebastian Bach at some party or something and they saw Zach Wilde with his local band Zyrus. Mark Weiss knows everybody in the music business. Mark goes to the Osbournes. You know, or Dave Feld probably said to Mark, hey there's this guy Zach this kid, he's killer. You know that got Zach an audition into the, the Osborne camp. There you go. Bam. 19 years old. Zach Wilde. Done deal. You know. Right. Um, same time Sebastian was around somehow and the same thing happened. Hey you guys in Skid Row you, you, you should check this guy out. Sebastian from Canada. So there's this little thing going on in New Jersey, and then Dave Fell got signed. He got signed as an A&R guy to Atlantic. So because Zach and JD were buds in Jersey, and I'm buddies with, with JD, there's just a little bit of a connection there, a little string. And when I come down with JD, and we're in New York playing with Jody, Dave Feld goes to me and JD. He's like, hey, Brian, there's this guy, Randy Jackson, from Zebra, who's looking to start a new band on Atlantic. You know, I'm like, well, I bought that first Zebra record when I was a kid. You know, tell me what you want, who's behind the door, all that stuff. I, I got it. That's a great record. I, I d- totally dug it, you know. So I'm like, I know Randy Jackson. So I went and auditioned for him and, and got um, got in that band, which ultimately the band was called China Rain. China Rain, And it was a record, but like, they were trying to fit in with the whole hair metal thing. Right. Know, that's all. But uh, it didn't come out for a while. And I just remember I was 21. I was driving around Jersey and... It wasn't a great experience. It was an experience. I played drums on the whole record, but they totally took advantage of me, meaning I didn't give hate a dime. Because you're 21. Like, they, yeah. think, they think, ah, oh, this guy's just lucky. He's just glad to be in the game. And this is this is another thing that happened with that. They brought, I'm in New York. They go into Atlantic Records, and I, I'm like overwhelmed. I'm a 21-year-old kid in Atlantic Records, and I walk into some office. There's a big old desk there. I don't even know who's in the room, except for maybe i don't think jd wasn't in this band so it was me and maybe it's just me and randy jackson or something but there's this manager guy there or whatever somebody at the label they throw me a, a stack of papers okay rule number one don't sign anything without a lawyer right here i am 21 at my parents house <laughs> playing with jody bon jovi that's kind of fizzling and i'm like i've got this gig with the guy from zebra 
you know, he's in Long Island and we're going to be recording with him in Jersey. And whoa, this is amazing. They were going to reimburse my gas and give me a sandwich at the studio. You know what I mean? But I don't care. It's, it's all cool. And, um, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, Atlantic Records, and they go, oh, hey, just check this out. You know, this is just like, you know, some paperwork. Just, we need you to sign this paper right here. It just states you're the drummer in the band. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm totally nervous. I'm like, I don't want to sign this, but I should, uh, but I don't want to cause a problem here at Atlantic Records. Right. 21-year-old kid. So I'm just like, Brian Tishy, sign my name. And then they flip like through seven pages. Yeah, this just says, you know, you're the drummer of the band. <laughs> seven pages later, they go, this one says you're playing drums on the record. Just sign here. It says you're the drummer on the record. I'm like, Okay, I don't want to cause a problem. Brian Tishy, Simon Seven more pages. Oh, this is just you know, stuff about, you know, you're the drummer of the band. You know, you're playing on the record. This one says you guys are going to be going on tour. You know, just you're going to go on tour when the record's finished. <laughs> Serious. The, I, this was done to me. This is I'm not making this shit up. I look back and I go, holy shit. That right. was me. That's not a joke. This is this this is a perfect, if there was a video of this, this would be a perfect footage in a music college to show up. Here's what you do not want to do. Right. And they make a big joke of some kid in a record label signing his life away. And, and the, you know, the, and the record label guys just sitting there babbling a bunch of lies, you know, oh, just sign here. This says that you're going to tour, you know, when, with the, you know, when this record comes out. So I'm Brian Tishy. And they did like one more time. This says that, uh, whatever it was, you know, you're going to have a lot of fun in this band. Sign here, you know, it was whatever. So it, 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 it doesn't matter. Somewhere there are those contracts for that band, Randy Jackson, I called China Rand. There's my signature. And I walked out of there going, I don't know what I signed. At least I didn't, call, but I should have said. Yeah, can I take this home? Right. You know, that was, just, just, anybody listening that gives a shit, just, it's not worth it. But, you, you know, it's because you really could be setting yourself up for stuff down the road that just, you know, that you have to deal with. And it's just deal with getting some other lawyer to go, hey, I signed this, like, with, you know, whatever the proper terms are. You know, I was, I, I didn't sign this with any knowledge of what, whatever the hell, I'm a kid, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but, um, I've now, Sometimes, you know, instead of getting lawyers involved, if it's just a straight up something, honestly, if it's something with somebody and there's like a one page agreement, like it, you can just make an email. Hey, I agree to this. You agree to this. Let's not spend a ton of money on lawyers. Here's the thing. I'm going to do this and you're going to pay me that and blah, blah, blah. If you if you if you really try and rip me off on this, we have this email. Right. You know what I mean? And if we're having to go down, go down that road over this little bit of money, you know, we're both, you know, we're both idiots, you know. But but that was a true that totally happened back then. I was like, looking back at it at it now, it's so hysterical that I you know I had zero balls in Atlantic Records to go. I want to take this and go home with it. And so you sit there, you go, wow. It's like anything. You're you're fascinated where you're at. You're like, oh my god. You know, you're of course you don't you don't want to meddle any waters. You don't want to screw anything up. Yeah. So so that yeah that bad experience. So what what's the first big band you started playing with? I know you played with Billy Idol. When when did how did you hook up with Billy Idol? Uh, that was his drummer at the time, Mark Shulman, was is a buddy of mine. We had played in some other things together, and Mark just uh, called me one day and said, "Hey, I'm going with Stevie Nicks. Billy needs a drummer." I was like, "Cool." I, I mean, that's that was geez, that's ten years later. That was you know that was after a bunch of other stuff, but but it was just supposed to be like a summer run, something or other, and uh, um, I just went down and jammed with Billy, and there you go, that was it. But it became like a long, it became a lot more than what it started as. You know, we became writing partners, and we did. Christmas videos and Christmas records and greatest hits things and we wrote a whole comeback record together and recorded one on one in a studio. I mean, we wrote together a lot. See, I probably spent more time in the past ten years alone with, with Billy than anybody else because we did a lot of hours and great guy, awesome. I mean, it's just he's he's a badass. You know? When when did you start writing? I mean, what what point in your career did you did you always write or yeah, was it as a something... little kid? So little you were kid, always you hear, you hear some riffs. I mean, I love riffs. I like well, you it. play I mean, guitar he, too. Yeah, yeah. I started playing guitar and you know. I mean, my dad showed me a couple of basics, Hard Day's Night. No, Day Tripper Riff, Day Tripper Riff and a G chord and an E major chord. You know, E major's not fun on an acoustic with high high action when you're a kid the first time pressing down the strings. But he did. He could play, you know, and all this and that. So then I got electric guitar and some friends, you know, knew some riffs. And before you know it, you're like, here's a power chord. Here's Iron Man. Here's Smoke on the Water. Here's a blues scale. Here, you know, here's a pentatonic. Here's a pentatonic flat five. And I'm that was it. I mean, I'm a drummer who loves guitar. It was a seventh grade band, Blizzard of Oz, Randy Rose come out, and I that was it. It was like the same time that I was like getting it really into guitar, it, and I never stopped. So it was, it's just an it's a nonstop. I'm constantly playing drums and guitar. It's just, you know. I want to talk about your career more, but I also want to talk about your speed bag. Now I've heard I've heard you're like this amazing speed. How did that happen? How did that start up? It's just. It, it's just like anything, you know, like you're interested in this, so you go do it, you know, it's just like anybody does anything. Just the, the, the cool thing about a speed bag is it ties into drums and rhythm and, 
percussion, you know? So it wasn't like, oh, I got into boxing and there's the speed bag, which be cool if I did, you know, because boxing's badass, but it wasn't, it had nothing to do with, it had nothing to do with being, trying to be getting a workout or exercise or being, it had nothing to do with what people think of speed bags. It was simply from a kid, watch Muhammad Ali, watch Rocky. You, every time you see that speed bag, you're like, I was like, that's it's just badass. It sounds badass and it looks badass. That was it. Tried it a couple times. Nobody showed me. I was like, you know, a gym somewhere. You go, bah, 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 bah. Like, right. I don't know. What don't, you know, you, if nobody tells you the basics, you don't know what you're doing. And then it was on, Billy, on a Billy Idol tour sitting backstage and I just um, uh, YouTube speed bag and just started. I ended up watching a couple guys that are my good buddies, but I had no idea about. And I started seeing them using elbows, going to the sides, you know, behind all the advanced technique stuff and i was like okay this is insane i don't know how they're doing this i gotta learn this there's gotta be it's you know I'm, i want to learn this i had had a speed bag sitting in my garage for like seven years just uh and never set it up you know just you know just like just sitting there so i got off the road and i uh just screwed it into my wall in the garage and i just sat there and i started watching videos got obsessed with it like obsessed so it was always, it was always about the the advanced technique and the rhythms, you know. And then it became keeping time with music. Just put music on, and you're a drummer, so of course you're gonna just start punch drumming. But there's already punch drumming going going on by the the king of speedbag king, Alan Kahn. He wrote the speedbag Bible. He's already he's forget it, he's top. He's the top of the top, and he's been doing this since the 70s. So we became buddies. Wrote to him, told him you're badass, you know. We, and, He's, he was also a drummer, you know, so we connected. And then I put, took the speed bag out on the road with Foreigner, have it in, a, in their truck, called the equipment truck, called the speed bag truck. It was always set up. So any speed baggers in town, I go, meet me before the show. Let's, let's bag it up and get your ticket to the show. And, and I started meeting people in the country. And then at the same time, in 2010, they started the speed bag annual gathering in New Jersey. They do it in Keyport, Jersey every year. I was at the first one. I haven't been there since, but it's this little community. But speedbaggers rule. It's so it's it's just like drummers and guitar players when we do these bonds of bashes. Randy Rose remembered. It's just you get you're you're there for a common love of something, a common reason. So there's no, there's the competition is out the window. It's all about man. You're learning, but you're into it. You're all there for the same reason. It's not you know. Um, so yeah, that's but man. Speed, and the coolest thing about the thing about the whole speedbag thing was you know it's, I don't practice it so much i mean I'll, it's always it's just sitting in my garage there's two of them sitting there i'll go in there and just do a few things and it's all there it's like riding a bike you know um but uh uh when when i started getting into it i started i put a bass drum underneath it i put a snare drum on the side of it just started doing like different things or two of them at once you can do like you know just try and work out things with both hands and then uh when eddie trunk decided to put drummers on his on the, that metal show you know i've known eddie's for a long time in New Jersey, and I've known I know Jim. I've known Jim for yeah. We used to do comedy together back in cool. got ninety. Yeah. So the, those guys are doing the thing, and Eddie said, "I want you and Portnoy to be the first two drummers on the show." I was like badass. So, and at the same time, um, this company Balaz makes speedbag equipment, and they had written me an email said we saw some of your videos, I'd like to maybe do something with you. I was like, I'm going on TV to play drums. If you guys can get me a stand, that's heavy enough and sturdy enough you know to put next to a drum set i'll play your speed i'll play the balaz you'll get your big logo on vh1 classic and all that stuff and they sent me this 270 pound speed bag stand um i had done a couple messed around with playing a bag while doing something drumistic right but but to sit there on the the seat with the snare drum a high hand a kick drum and play time with my right hand i was like i hear it in my head i know what it's supposed to be i just didn't do it until like two days before that metal show and went on there and did a couple of different patterns and had fun with it. And it. But it was cool because it was the first time I just because I'm a speed bag enthusiast and I know all the guys. We, you know, I pretty it's pretty safe to say that was the first time there's any documentation of somebody using speed bag as a percussion right. instrument. You know, but um, it's not to say that there's there's a there's some guy there's a couple new guys out there that are insane as punch drummers, meaning keeping time to music, just the speed, the accuracy, it's it, the, the stamina is insane. Um, so you, you sort of started that. Well, I didn't start punch drumming. Alan Kahn, I, as far as I know, Alan Kahn started that, and uh, but I gravitated to that instantly. And there was only a few of us that were punch drumming that, you know, because that's another level. You you can get all your licks together, but to control all your licks in time 
the weight because the bag, you know, if you're gonna do there's timing involved in that. You can't just like hit but you know what I mean? It's all about how hard you hit it, where you place your hit and all that. So that's rhythm. So you gotta and, and I under, I can hear the rhythms going by. So if you don't really hear the rhythms and you only know a few patterns, it's kinda it's you know, I have an advantage because I because I'm a drummer, you know what I mean? But uh so there's but there's more guys doing it now. But uh to me that was the true the speed is one thing, you know, you first you get your, you know, the control at first it's a control bag, right? Control that bag. And then your speed, just like anything, you learn a guitar lick, you know, you play, play the pattern slow. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it's just cool. But some guys, I guess, don't have an interest in the speed bag as a complete rhythmic thing. You know, I do, you know, so everything I'm doing, my first thing in my mind is if I'm if I doing this evenly, you know, the more I can keep it in time, the more dialed in, the more the better technique I think I have, you know. So it's awesome, but uh, but no, there's no there, um, the thing is before this whole Eddie Trunk thing on that metal show, it's bat, drum bagging, bagged or whatever you call it, you know, because it's not punch drumming is when you keep time to music on a bag. When you put the drum put the bag on a drum set, then it's a different term, which is drum bagging or bag drumming. But before that, I was on tour with Foreigner, and Foreigner had said, if you if you want to use this in your drum solo, we're fine with it. If you can get a speed bag stand up there for your drum solo, you, you get a little solo, you do this and that, and you put you know get up there and keep time with your kick drum and go get the audience clapping, mic it up, dude. That's badass. I don't care. It's just badass, you know, because it's rhythmic and it's cool and it's visual. So it's all all the above. You're on a stage, entertain people, but you're a drummer, so make it rhythmic. You know what I mean? Don't just set something on fire. Right. Actually. Play, play something and make a, enhance the music. Yeah, you enhance the drum solo and enhance the show. So Foreigner's cool with it. But the thing is, the speed bag stand I had, it was a stand for a speed bag and a heavy bag. But pff, I'm not putting a heavy bag to keep it heavy enough right. to keep it solid. We didn't have the heavy bag. We're not gonna. I'm not having the crew bring all that junk right. on stage for a little <laughs> bit of 30 seconds of a solo. So, but we we're like, okay, maybe we can like tie it down. We tried it at sound check and the thing was shaking. As soon as a bag, as soon as it's, if you're trying to do anything with technique and it's shaking, it's impossible. It's just, it just takes the fun out of it. And uh, so, anyways, that that we never got it together. And and uh, but they were all for it. And it just and I still have yet to put this, you know, make it a part of my drum solo, which is just so it's just sitting there like a big. It's like, it's something you have to do. Yeah, I'm and I'm going to. I almost did it. Uh, in Vegas, we did the show. Me and Doug Aldridge and Michael Devin. Devin's plays bass in Steam, um, plays bass in White Snake, and Doug is from White Snake. He's been in Vegas doing the rock vault thing. Well, anyways, we did a we do a cover trio band called Steamroller, and we did a gig in Vegas. And I was like, I'm bringing my drums out. I'm bringing the speed bag. When I do the drum solo in Vegas, I'm gonna. But by the time we loaded up the van. <laughs> There was no, we just, it's, it's a big thing. It's a right. Big, and I was like, dude, this isn't going to fit. We got too much junk. So we left the speed bag at home. I have to bring the gong. I brought the gong, though. At least I got the gong. Now, how, how did how did you end up starting playing with Foreigner? Because I know Foreigner, you know, I remember my eighth grade graduation album was uh, the first Foreigner album. And I love Foreigner. Foreigner was an amazing band. One of the Every best, song, best sets in rock and roll. Double top vision. Top to bottom. Double, I mean, how did that come apart? And were you a fan growing up? Yeah, and, totally. Okay. Got, yeah, I've got a key memory in my mind about Foreigner in 1978, but also to answer your other question. I would hear the, I would uh, hear the, the memory Bill, first. The Billy Idol was, no, far from the first gig. I got the first, after that whole Randy Jackson and this and that stuff and blah, blah, blah. I was coming out here recording one thing led to another i started recording a lot with sass jordan and stevie salas on sass's solo stuff she had a record in 94 called rats and stevie had a bunch of solo stuff through but but i had known zach wild for these years you know we had jammed together a few times so the first true gig i got like where i'm in the band we did the record go on tour was um what was pride and glory which is zach wild's band when he left left to ozzy he signed to geffen Claudner, guns and roses management all dialed in and it was him and James Lomenzo and myself, and we did this record in 93, and it came out in 94, and we toured, and we had a fucking killer time, and Don, we played Donington, you know, we played with Pantera, Donington, and Aerosmith, we went to Japan, you know, all over Europe, the US, with Nugent and Skinner, and I was like, that was good, that was fun, that was good, and then in 95, he went back to working with Ozzy a bit, and I joined up with Slash, and I toured, did the same thing with Slash, Japan, South America, Europe, Donington, the US, and um, so that was a solid, that was that was a good couple of years. I mean, I'm playing with guys I love. I love as musicians and guitar players that inspire me and I'm influenced by Slash and Zach. 
to and still to this day that you're talking that was 93 they're at the top of the world already for many right. years they're still there they're still two of the these guys never stop working i have so much respect for them i love their i love both of their styles they're 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 etched in they are the top of the top now in the world of rock guitar you know what i mean and uh so it was a really fun time to do that you know do a couple of years with those guys you know but that was it and then a couple so to lead up to the foreigner thing that was like that was like 93 through 96 playing with you know with, with uh you know zach and slash and all that stuff and um 98 it was simply uh, i had did a record with this producer marty frederickson and marty's probably most well known for writing with Aero, uh steven tyler and aerosmith now and uh he's a producer songwriter super talented great guy and we did a record together and we kept in touch i was like hey marty i have this new band i'm playing guitar and singing it i want to send you a cassette he's like why don't you just drive the cassette over because i got a track you know a, a, a demo i, want. I need drums on it's a drum machine on it right now it's a song i wrote with uh, mick jones and lou graham from foreigner i'm just like cool i'll come over there's just marty and i we did a drum track went home the next day um mick jones's brother kevin jones calls and he goes hey we, we like the drums on this let's talk hey we want to get together and jam in a couple of days with mick mick jones and his, his bass player bruce i was like so i went out and bought you because know, cd of foreigner's greatest hits again jammed with them and mick's like how would you like to go on tour and do a record this year and this was 1998 so, so this was still Lou Graham and Mick in the right. band. This was Mick's. Uh, this was the year after Lou had the brain tumor. So he had gone through all that shit in 1997, 98. Came back in a foreigner. And he probably should have taken more time off because it was like, you know, it, it was a lot for him to go out and do that stuff with what he went through. But um, for me, I'm like, dude, I'm I'm out playing with foreigner 98, and then 99, that continued to a summer tour journey, which leads to the most insane story on drums of my entire life. But that's another story. To get back to foreigner. I, man, when Hot Blooded came out in '78, kick! I, I still love that song. Every night when I'm on stage, and I look at Mick playing the rhythm, and like you know, when I, all these shows I played Hot Blooded with Mick hundreds of times, you know, and I, and I'm just like, dude, you wrote this. I fucking love this as a kid. It kicked my. The I love the song. I love every single thing about the song. The solo, the riffs, the tone, the production, Lou Graham, everything about it. I just love it. I love Hot Blooded. And there's one thing in there that drummers probably know about is the, the kick drum pattern in the verse they go and then from that point on it's that's the kick drum pattern so there's a double skip in there on your foot that was huge to me I, there was already stuff going on you know zeppelin and even peter chris on harder than hell had a pattern but it stood out as a 10 9 year old kid because i turned 10 in 1978 so I got double vision for my birthday in August, and I just I could not go ba boom boom ba ten. Okay, so but so I'm going into like fifth grade, so I've been playing drums, but I can't do a double yet. So that song was huge to me. At for two weeks, I go behind my kid every day, play the hot blooded, play the double vision that record, and chat ba boom boom chat, and it was like terrible, you know. Finally, something clicked in ba boom ba boom ba boom. I'm like. And that was it, done deal for the rest of my life. You know, so that's this this technique you do with your with your with your uh, with your foot and your your leg to get it create a double stroke with one motion. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. And uh, so yeah, but that all that was that's a, that's there was nothing else that led me to that to learn how to do that other than just playing uh, incessantly to to hot blooded trying to figure out how to do that. And um, I think I even told Mick this. You know, I interviewed him one time, and I think I told him like he's a you know Mick you know. That's nice. That's cool. You know, it's not a big deal about it, but, but um, yeah. So it's really cool. Like, so I I had you know I had uh, um, what's it called? Double Vision and Head Games. I I, I played. I had those records. I grew up playing them. Um, four hundred four came out. It got huge. I probably was getting more into metal, metal, and you know just other stuff at the time. You know, it's huge. Everybody, you know, four hundred four is massive right but so, see for me i was so i was the first foreigner i was a long long way from home i love, uh, that, hey, song. Uh, love dude, that song oh yeah i'm going that is probably my fit song number two long long way from home is great song say. just the thing that's, it was just the, the keyboard it was the simplest and, the the simple guitar lick with with lou on top and that groove it just it's great that that's the, I, I still remember it, that and that album i had that album and then i had against and after i didn't really listen to four and four i was more of a first three album guy also but mostly the first two the, and the first one slipped by me probably because i was a little too young you right know, even those feel like the first time cold as ice are, in, are so awesome but um i didn't get didn't get into that record like there's i just i got you know foreigner you know i got the you know uh, double vision head games 
And but listening back, it's like I can't, I, it doesn't make sense why I didn't get the first one because right. the first one was killer. Um, but we would open we would open either with Double Vision or Long, Long Way From Home, which they probably still do. I think they usually open up with Double Vision. But to me, open up that's the bigger song. But Long Long Way From Home from Home is is killer. just such a great opener. I I mean I I love playing with those guys and I'll anytime they call I'll do it. And you know why why aren't you in the band then? You know if you're all boys with them because well, it was because you know my path is not to only be the drummer and foreigner on this planet. While that's totally cool, uh, there's the you know the, you know life is short and I want to do a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? So uh, I've made a choice. Well, I mean I only left them in 2000 to join Ozzy because I heard Ozzy was looking for a drummer and I'm and I'm like I know too many people in this band and I'm like it's Ozzy Osbourne man. This is I want to play. I want that. I, I, I'd be selling myself short not to attempt to, to pursue getting an audition, which I did, and I, I got in the in the band in 2000 and did did the 2000 Ozfest. So that was like, so it was like you know the Zach and Pride and Glory stuff for you know a few years in the 90s, and then uh, 498, 99 to 2000, then Ozzy in 2000, and then from there it was Billy Idol 2001 to 2009, back in the Foreigner. And you played with White Snake too, right? White Snake was 2010. I left Foreigner again because just, they work a lot. Foreigner works a lot, which is awesome. Cannot complain about playing in this awesome band with this awesome set of music and traveling the world and, and making money. And their fan base must be great because it's one it's one of those concerts. It's like when you see them or you see Tom Petty. Or I'm a huge Springsteen fan, so I know all the songs. But they're bands when you go to the concert, you know you're going to sit there and you're going to hear songs that one you love. Two songs you kick ass, and songs you're gonna walk out of that thing and go, okay, they didn't play this, and then you go, are they gonna play it on the encore? And then they do, and you go, and then you get out and you see, you just heard 25 hits. Well, it's, a, it's like Blue Morning, Blue Day. It's like it's not their biggest song, but everybody loves it. And as soon as they kick it in live, everybody's like, oh yeah, I forgot this song. You know what I mean? This, I mean, I can't say enough good about them, and and um. Just, just it's really nice to it's really nice to know that you know there's those those spots in your life where you know like something you did tied into something that somebody else did that affected you and there you are together. All I'm just the drummer keeping time for Foreigner, but but I want to make that shit pop and I want to make it fun for everybody on the band, especially Mick and Lou. You know, out of insane respect for what they how they inspired me. You know, I just want to give it back every night. I want I want you know Mick to be happy. You know, the guy was nothing but awesome to me. You know. And, uh, um, but at the same time, you know, it's like, yeah, that like, you know, they, like I said, they work a lot and, and their, and their fan base is, they have, they're doing great now. A lot of it is probably because they were more or less a, an image, imageless, faceless band back in the day. So nobody's putting that, that kiss or David Lee Roth image on the top of that band. Right. It's foreigner. They go, I've been listening to these songs on the radio forever. I love these songs. Foreigner's coming. Let's go see him. You know, like I want to hear these songs. And Kelly Hansen gets up there and kills it every night. They couldn't have gotten a, a better, better guy to do that gig. I mean, they just couldn't. He's so, and he owns it. He owns it. So now you go see Foreigner. As much as we all love Lou, whatever went on with Lou and Mick and what, whatever's going on, and it, it, Kelly's come in and, and done a great job with total respect. I mean, he's singing the songs, whereas Lou, they're his songs. You know, they're his vocals. So he, if he wants to twist and turn a bit. It's cool, man. It happens, you know. You listen, Elton John does it. McCartney does it. You know, what I mean, the, you know, the, you might have no stings every melody, but he's going. You might twist and turn a right. bit. But Kelly's going. Hey, out of respect to the band and to the fans, I'm going to give you this the way we all grew up on it. You know, and I'm the same way in the on the drum side of things. You know, I can I can add a little bit of this or that in. Like I've listened to the. You know, you got the studio version. You got the the De Dennis Elliott studio version. Then you have. Dennis Elliott live, which he was changing his stuff a lot, and then you go to the other drummers who played in Foreigner, and you go, well, how did they do it? And I always do research like that. Like, how did, when I played with Jeff Tate, when he's doing his side of Queensryche, he's like, all right, you, we're doing the whole Operation Mindcrime set. Okay, how how was, how did Rock and Field do the original record? How did Rock and Field do the tour that supported that record? How does Rock and Field play it now? How does Simon Wright play it now? I got, I got, I got five versions right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, now, wh where do I go to? I gravitate to the original first, and then I take notes on who did what, and I go, okay, how much flexibility is here, and how much flexibility do I even care about? I really don't care that much. Right. How much of me do I have to put in there? There'll be enough spots where I can do a little bit of this or that, 
whatever you know but the tr the thing is i want the fans to hear it and i want there's i want that ride cymbal pattern that hi-hat the tight christmas like this rock and field plays how he plays i'm not the guy on the record he chose to place her way within queen's and i have total respect for that you know he's the dude that's created that fan base you know i'm just continuing it as a as a respectful drummer i have no i have no ego in that department man it's not it's not even worth it just go with her and kick ass and make sure that everybody there is uh um you know had a good time you know had a good time he goes dude you play you know you played that and it was right you just want it to sound right you know what i mean and to sound right is to be an imitator and, and with and that's all I did growing up. Like I was, that's what I was gonna say before. The, the most fun place I've ever been is behind a kid of drums. I'm, you know, getting older now, you're like, you look back a little bit, all that junk you got to because you're getting older. But you go, where am I most comfortable on this planet? Behind sitting behind a set of drums. That's that's it. Where's my most favorite memory? You know, my dad. So okay, my kids. They're number one, right? But outside of that parent father family thing, on just like me on this planet from beginning to end. It's sitting with headphones, playing to my favorite rock records, like in the dark, when the sun goes down and you're in your room playing the House of the Holy and you get to no quarter and the sun's down, it's dark and you're just playing, you know, turn lights on and you're you're drumming in the dark and that's making you better. That's another challenge already. But it's like, that's the best. Those are those that put me in a place that you can't get anywhere else. So of course, going on stage in front of, you know, lots of people and doing something, you know, and performing well, you know, and feeling good about your performance for the most part. That's awesome. The reaction or making... Legends happy, freaking Coverdale and Idol and Ozzy. You know what I mean? Having them react to you—that's that's badass. That but, must be amazing for someone who loves music. And I'm a musical, but they just sit there and play with these guys, and you sit there, and then it's like they're your peers at that point. They're your bandmates, and that must be just amazing, especially with Foreigner, as you said. You remember just playing the hell out of that song, and yeah, then finally I, you can do it, and you're doing it with the band and in front of the fans, and you know. If you screw it up, they'll notice, but they know you're not going to screw it up. But I, but I also know I'm going to play it more dialed in than they remember it. Not and not in a cocky way. I'm saying because because I've lived this. Like I mean, that's it's a huge part of what I do is to pay attention to that stuff more than a lot of people, more than the fans. The fans are listening to the big picture of a band, but so I know if I give them something that's pretty, I'll chart every every bass drum out on Mind Crime. Is anybody else there even Rock and Field going to know every bass drum? Probably not because I listen to how he did it live. I'm like. It's interesting. He'd he'd do a little twist and turn, stick to the you know he'd stick to the he'd be in the same ballpark, but he'd do a little twist and turn. It's interesting, and I and I go why? Because you're making up some solid parts. Why'd you twist and turn a little bit? It's like because it's my band. I do what I want. You know what I mean? Same with Neil Peart. You know, there's a lot of exact stuff going on in a Rush show, but then there's that little bit of, you know, a little bit of you know stuff that you know a little twisting and turning. But uh, no, it's 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 all fun, man. It, it's I I enjoy, you know it's it's fun. I enjoy it, and that's that's the deal. That's what I do. But uh, it's also that's the more of the life of a you know guy a hired gun you know what I mean it's more of that style style which is uh, if you haven't been that that's a whole other world like if you're in your own band and you're Alex Van Halen and you grow up and I mean that's to me the top of the top on this planet is creating your own thing whether it's Angus Young or Eddie Van Halen or um, Alex Van Halen or, or Neil Peart or Geddy Lee or Randy Rhodes or you know Keith Moon or all these guys that create a sound that you go. Bam! That's that right. guy. It's, that's the shit, dude. That's the bottom snare drum sound, you know. Bill Bruford snare, sound. you know. It's like Eddie's tone, you know. What, a, you know what I mean? That's that's the shit, you know. Hendrix is whatever, man. As soon as you hear one thing, oh, it's Hendrix. The Hendrix chord, dude. We got a chord called the Hendrix chord. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's awesome, dude. The Hen Come on, imagine there was a. Oh yeah. Oh, give me the tissue chord. What? That's yeah, amazing. That's huge. Like as a kid, that's the you know um, purple haze. It's the Hendrix chord. You know what I mean? So. uh Anyhow, uh, or, come on, man. Keith Moon's windmill. The freaking windmill. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's shit. Well, you people know, Ace Frehley's guitar smoking. That's the shit. Well, it's the people that remember that stuff, and it, it changes. I mean, it changes music. It changes how you see music. Now, is it harder for you to go on the road now that you have kids? Well, yeah, it's a balance, you know? The first thing I look is when's the start and when's the end. It's great because it's like, like I'm, I, I'll, pro I, fuck it, I'll probably be the first to announce this because it just got confirmed, I guess, last night. It's it's not a big deal or anything, but but uh, there's a tour coming up, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Touring is when you go on tour, you're doing you're not going, you know, hey, you're playing your music, you're playing you're playing your drums and stuff, but you're uh, you're earning money, you know. Well, it's it's, but some you know, yeah, I like staying home. I love being home. I love I you know live in L.A. I love I love uh, all that um everything that goes on when I'm home. 
got a studio, drums in my house, blah, blah, blah. I can, you know, make records there, blah, blah, blah. But going on tour is fun too, you know? But yeah, you, the more you do it, the more you, you, you know, you're, okay, who am I going with? What am I doing? What's, what's, and who are you going with? So, uh, the, the, for the rest of the year, which was going to start up in September, but they just added a leg before that, is going to be with this band, the, the Dead Daisies. Dead Daisies were based in Australia off the guitar player who started the band, David Lowy. And it's his thing. He had a, a singer, John Stevens, from down there. killer singer, whatever. They had a changing changing of the singer this year. It's John Karabi now since uh, February. John, you know, is from Motley. And uh, I've known John a long time. He's great. So we got Dizzy Reed and Richard Fortas from Guns N' Roses in the band with Mark, Marco Mendoza, who was in Whitesnake before I was, and Thin Lizzy and Nugent. He's Marco's been in a ton of bands. And he's the bass player. And uh, uh, John Karabi singing and myself and, and David Lowy. So it's the Dead Daisies. And last year we went out and we toured with Kiss and Def Leppard, Skinner and Bad Company. We did some Australia. We did the Kiss Cruise. This year we're going back out, Kiss in Australia, opening up uh, the Kiss Cruise and opening up for White Snake in Europe. And then I think maybe there's some of our own stuff in the UK and then come back home before Christmas. But we're going to be doing a, a month with, with White Snake in the US coming up. Um, uh, you know, next month for like okay. a month. So it's cool because we're all buds. You know, it's like me and Marco weren't in White Saint together, but you know, we were in there, you know, separate times. So we're gonna be playing. And you know, Michael Devin, the my buddy, he's on bass. You, you know, when they were looking for bass player, I suggested him. And Tommy Aldridge, my one of my top ten drum idols, is back in with White White Snake. Um, Red Beach, great friend, jo- Joel Hoekstra on guitar. Uh, they have a new keyboard player. I don't know. Um, Joel's killer. Joel plays in the Randy Rhodes Remember shows that we do. And um. Rebs, Rebs, it's, it's a great band, and it's all buds, so it's going to be a cool. lot of fun. Do you, ever, do you ever do that uh, jam session over at uh, Lucky Strike? you ever do that? No. I'm surprised you haven't. Yeah. No, I haven't. I have, you yeah. know about it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was based off of uh, this other thing that was going on in Burbank called, what was it called? Lucy's. Lucy's had a, a similar thing, and it kind of, uh, they sold that place, and it morphed into that. No, I just, just haven't, uh, hasn't been uh, on my... Uh, on your list? On my, on my radar, it hasn't happened. Like, whatever, it's like I've been in and out of town, da 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 and then there's, you know, some but nights you, I'm sitting home and I'm not out there jamming with You just did the uh, Bonzo Bash, though. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was G- January at NAM. We did three in a row. We did Bonzo Bash, Randy Rhodes Remembered, and The Ox and the Loon three days in a row at the observatory down in Anaheim. So you, you get a bunch Anaheim. of drummers together and you guys just... Yeah, I just started doing it in 2010. It was just an, an idea I had one day. It was like I been listening to Bonham ever since I was a kid. I've never stopped. He's the one drummer, the one drummer I don't stop listening to. Uh, you know, so we all love Bonham, but he's, I don't go through Bonham phases ever. It's just there all the time. It's just, you know, uh, where I'll go through a, you know, whatever, Bruford or Tony Williams or a Alex Van Halen phase. I, you know, Alex is in my top three. So there's like Bonham, Peart, and Alex Van Halen are top three, but saying there's like a Bozio, you go through, you listen to a ton of Bozio, Simon Phillips, you know, you listen to a ton of Simon, then you don't listen to Simon for a bit, you know, you go through stuff, but Bonham's always there. So in 2010, I was like, man, if I think this way, you know, we all do, you know, like ton of, he's the best rock drummer and all this stuff. So I was like, wouldn't it be cool to just like do a, a just get a, 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 a rehearsal room and put a Bonham style kit in there and have my buddies, like we all know a bunch of Zeppelin anyways, call drummers up, go, hey, we're gonna have a party, come on over grab it, pick a song, we'll just jam it. I was like, but if I call up, you know, uh, you know, Kenny Aronoff and, and James Kotak and Stephen Perkins and Chad Smith and Nate Laboreal and I, and they show up, I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's an event that's I awesome. think yeah, people yeah. would want to see, right? So we got 18, 19 drummers the first time, including Jason Bonham, who was in town then to do, I think, the first or second Black Country record. And his his mom was in town with his, you know, Pat Bonham and Deborah Bonham is, uh, his sister Zoe was there, uh, you know. So it's like they were all there. We got we got them the VIP table, and it, it was pretty heavy duty, you know. So that was uh, that was the start of it, and cool. we've done five years of this, and uh, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. We got to wrap up. Uh, what's, all right. your, what's your info? What's your info? Uh, what, well, website? I guess there's a BrianTishy.com, and there's a Brian. There's you know Facebook, and there's you, you, uh, you tweet a lot. You tweet a lot. Yeah, yeah, I do the tweet. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or anything I put on Facebook ties into the tweet, so it okay. makes it easy too. You know. Well, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me. And we got we set it up and uh and yeah, so people check it out. Brian Tishy, just check him out and go go follow him on Twitter and go to his website. Check it out because he's. He's a monster in the drums. And uh, I want to thank you for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. Remember, my Twitter is at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, email me at Cooper at CooperTalk.net. And we've got some uh, Joe Walsh.
little Rocky Mountain. Is that Rocky Mountain High? <laughs> Rocky Mountain Way. Rocky Mountain Way, leading us out. See that? He even brings his own music. Now, have you, have you That's ever- a nice outro song right here, man. That's, That's a, a good song. outro. So, people... Go to see Bunchies. Go to my website, stopthesalt.com. Buy my cookbook, the low-sodium cookbook. 120 recipes. 120 recipes, easy to make. Buy it from my website, not Amazon. If you buy it from Amazon, I don't make as much money. So do that. So follow Brian TC on Twitter. Go check out coopertalk.net. 385 episodes up. Cooper at coopertalk.net. Send me an email. Follow me on Twitter at coopertalk.net. I will talk to you next week. I'm Steve Cooper. Molly Sip is my guest. Drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, have a good day. And enjoy the fade.